When you're in the closet, you spend an enormous amount of energy really hiding who you truly are. There's real power and real value in being who you are. This is the Other Side of Adversity podcast, inspiring stories to fill your cup. I'm your host, Laura Massey, and welcome to the show. Our guest today is Tom Johnson. Tom is a retired finance executive, yoga instructor, and activist in the LGBTQ community. Tom spent over 35 years in corporate finance, primarily with the Clorox company, where he was a champion for gay rights. He served as past president of the board of directors for the nonprofit Out and Equal Workplace Advocates. A native of Rochester, Michigan, Tom now resides in Fairfield County, Connecticut with his husband, Bruce DeNero, author of the novel, When Stars Align. Today, I'm very pleased to welcome to the show, Tom Johnson. Thank you so much for being here, Tom. My great pleasure. Thanks, Laura. So let's start off by telling our listeners a little about your background and where you're from. So I was born and raised in a suburb of Detroit, Michigan. I was number six of seven uh, in a very working class, very Catholic, very conservative family. I think the best thing, one of the best things about being from Detroit is I've got Motown and rock and roll still running through my blood and in my playlists and in my current day yoga classes. Went to Michigan State to study business, was fortunate enough to land a role in public accounting shortly after graduation. That evolved into a career in corporate finance where it was for a number of years. With 35 years of corporate experience, was delighted to finally retire and have now evolved to providing health and wellness and yoga uh, classes to the community. And was there a religious or spiritual influence to your childhood? My parents were very religious and, you know, it was a requirement that we go through Catholic school and to attend church every Sunday. The Catholic church was looked to as the authority. And then within my family unit, my parents were clearly the authority and what they said mattered and ultimately ruled. And what was it like growing up not being able to truly be yourself? I was raised in the 60s and 70s in you know a small suburb of Detroit, Michigan, so pretty conservative. And you know, no reference during that period of time. It's not like we had a will and grace where we could see on TV people who were like what I was realizing I was. It wasn't discussed in the schools. There was nothing really on television. And so I grew up, and especially being raised in the Catholic Church, where LGBT matters are very inconsistent with their teaching. I grew up being very much in the closet and conflicted, because knowing that I was different, but even for a long period of time, not being able to put words to what that difference was. So the whole time I was in high school, I was in the closet. Even all the way through college, I was in the closet. And, you know, for a long period of time, I, I dated women. And really up through the time I met my husband, I was dating women, but it wasn't in a sincere, authentic way. I was, I was trying to make it work and then ultimately came to terms with who I really was. So that's what was so strange about that time because there was no discussion around any dimension of gay life, right? It wasn't discussed in the schools. There was nothing really on television. And when you got glimpses of it through characters that weren't 
out or blatant about their orientation, it was generally pretty negative, right? So all of that internalized is kind of internal homophobia that you were really fearful of and you know not very kind to. It's an interesting point about TV because I actually I remember I can't remember if it was like late 80s or early 90s when Ellen came out. Like that was like the big thing. That was huge, yeah. And now we look back and... We're everywhere. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> it, you know, it was a long period of time before we got there, at least in my lifetime. Um, but it does feel like once we got there, things did begin to accelerate. Having said that, so, so that was awesome. She suffered a lot because of that for a long period of time after she came out. Her show was canceled. She wasn't getting a lot of new gigs after that for a very long period of time. And then likewise, I remember, I think it was probably even before Ellen came out, there was a show called 30-something. It's of the, the style of This Is Us. But they had a couple of gay characters there, and they had one show where the, there were two men in a bed together. They didn't even show any kind of affection. They were just there together, and they lost all of their commercial sponsorship as a result of that one episode. And that was not that long ago. That would have been, what, maybe the 90s? Um, so really, a lot of the progress has been made in just the last 10 or 20 years. And you spent a long time in the corporate world. What was that like? Were you able to be yourself there? Not initially, not for a long period of time. So when I worked in public accounting, I was in the closet the whole time. And, you know, I met Bruce when I was, I was in my mid-20s. And so I was just starting out in my career at that time. And I, Bruce and I met in Boston. And about six months after we met, I got transferred to the San Francisco office for the firm that I was working for. And he came along with me and we've been together ever since. So through my whole public accounting career, I was in the closet, wasn't out to anyone at work, um, not to mention any of my clients. There was no indication at that time that that would have been good for my career. And then likewise, when I um, went into the finance and accounting development program at Clorox for the first, I want to say seven or eight years. So until I was in my mid thirties, I was still in the closet. That was kind of coincided with me coming to terms myself with who I was, who I loved, and coming out to my family first. And can you share your coming out story? So uh, Bruce and I had been together for hmm, seven or eight years, and I was pretty sure it was gonna stick since we were already seven, eight years <laughs> into the relationship, and yet I wasn't out to my family. Uh, so despite the fact that we met in Boston, and my parents, when they retired, traveled regularly. They have had kids in different parts of the country. And, and so they would come out and visit us, or visit me, I should say, once or twice a year. So they met, actually met Bruce as my quote unquote roommate while we lived in Boston. And then I got transferred to San Francisco, which they were very excited about because my dad was based there in, um, in the Navy back during the Korean War. And so they were delighted to have somebody to come out and visit and kind of reconnect to their roots. Surprise, Bruce was my roommate there too. And despite all of that, and despite the fact that he was my roommate for seven or eight years, they were totally cool with that while, while he was my roommate. But then I, I decided I needed to come out to them. I needed, I needed to come out to myself, first of all, and embrace that. So I went through a process of therapy and counseling and, and worked through that and learned to em embrace myself the way I was born. 
and then came out to some close friends outside of work first and then to my brothers and sisters and all went well. So I felt courageous enough to bring my parents into the loop. And I knew that it was going to be a risk. I knew that there was the possibility that they, given their background and experience and beliefs that, you know, I might lose them, but it was a risk that I was more than willing to take to, you know, live truthfully and authentically. And so how did you come out to them? And so I came out to them in a letter, actually, because I, I wanted to give them some time and space to be able to react to the news. I sent them a long letter explaining background and history. And I think in that letter, even let them off the hook, letting them know it wasn't their fault. It's just the way that uh, I'm wired. And so I came out to them in a letter and I didn't get an initial response. And then finally, these were in the days of answering machines. Um, my mom called and left a message acknowledging that they had received the letter. She called knowing at a time, knowing that I'd be at work and I wouldn't be there to pick up the phone and uh, left a message saying, we got your letter. We're having a really hard time with it. But she continued on and went on to say, but you're our son and we love you. And, you know, they just needed some time to be able to sort it out. But I think it was probably two or three months before I, we connected again. And when we did, it was only me connecting with them. Bruce, as he would say now, was persona non grata for a long period of time, at least a few years. They were comfortable with me coming to visit, but they stopped coming to visit us as a couple. And what was that like for you? It was difficult, but you know, what I learned through that process is when we as children come out to our parents, we kind of put them in the closet. And it took me 32 years to come to terms with it. So I felt I needed to give them a little time and space to come to terms with it themselves. So, you know, we put them into the closet as now parents of a gay child, and they got to figure out who to communicate to and how to deal with that. So I was willing to give them a little space and you know, it was probably just two or three years after that, that I would go visit my family uh, without Bruce, or I'd visit my mom and dad anyway, without Bruce. And um, by that time, most of my family had all moved to Florida. So I, was, I paid them a visit in Florida, all my brothers and sisters, as well as my parents. And it was probably two or three years later where my parents' 50th wedding anniversary was approaching. And we, I was out to lunch with a couple of my sisters and my parents. And my dad, who was really quite introverted and forceful in his way, but introverted and a man of relatively few words, asserted himself in the conversation and said, hey, I know you guys are planning something for our 50th wedding anniversary. He was really not comfortable being the center of attention. And he, he said as much. He said, I, I don't want any part of that. He said, what I want to do is take your mom on a cruise for her 50th anniversary. And he continued on to say, and we want all of you to come along with us. And then he turned to me specifically and said, I want Bruce to come too. We all kind of fell off of our chairs, but that was the beginning of the reconciliation. And then it evolved very quickly from there to the point where not only did we go on the cruise, but they resumed their visits to us 
And uh, my dad and my mom became one of his biggest fans and protectors until my dad passed away in 2000. And then my mom continued to be, you know, not only our champion, but champion for LGBT people, generally speaking. She lost friends as a result of it in the conservative city in which she lived in Florida and um, came to leave the Catholic Church in her 80s over a conflict with how they were speaking about LGBT people in the church, among other things. And then how did you come out in the workplace? Yeah, so shortly after that, so at that point in my career, I was working in the international division, but from home base in the corporate headquarters in Oakland, California. And they started to bring me different opportunities to go on an expat assignment. And the first two that they brought weren't really that interesting in terms of location, so I just simply declined them. But then they brought me an opportunity to become the finance lead for our operations in Europe, Middle East, and Africa based in London. That one was hard to <laughs> pass on. I really knew that was going to be a great opportunity. But I suspect they thought they were just getting a hardworking single guy, as I still wasn't out of the closet at work. And uh, so that was what compelled me. I really wanted to take the assignment, but they needed to know that I had a family to take with me. And, you know, at that time, so this was in the early to mid 90s, even in corporations at that time, there were no domestic partner policies, there was no domestic partner health coverage. And so there was no indication how this was going to work. And so I, I went back to my boss the following day after discussing it with Bruce saying, hey, I'd really like to accept that assignment, but you need to know I've got a partner and he needs to go with me. And so I need to know how that's going to work. To his credit, they, he went away, worked with the head of HR and came to, back with a package that enabled benefits enough for the two of us to go. Sounds simple, but it was the 90s. There was no marriage equality. There were no immigration rights for LGBT people. And so they made it clear Bruce would not be able to work. They wouldn't be able to sponsor him for a work visa while he was there. So we had to kind of, Bruce and I had to kind of work through that. Like, how's that going to work and what is he going to do? So we sorted through that and HR guided us to, well, just go in on a tourist visa. He'll have to leave every six months to restart it. And that was their way of solving the immigration problem. Bruce was willing to do that because he intended to travel and start. He always aspired to be a writer, which he recently published his first novel, which he actually got started while we were in London. Um, or he was inspired by a story that he read while he was in London. But from an immigration perspective, we were only there for like three months. He was traveling around Western Europe, coming back in with hoping we'd restart the tourist visa and he'd be able to stay there with me for the two-year assignment. But we were only there for three months and we were coming back, I think it was from Vienna, from our Christmas vacation. And, you know, Bruce is Italian. He can look very Middle Eastern from time to time. So... Whereas I would sail through passport control in London, he would always get detained, you know, questioning him. And long story short, that Christmas we were coming back, he, they basically said, we can tell you're not going back to the U.S. We believe you're living here. 
and they stamped his passport indicating he had to be out of the country in three months. So it started a long immigration challenge, which to Clorox's credit, they hired all the attorneys to help us fix it. We find, found an attorney that wanted to use this as a case to challenge immigration rights for LGBT people in the UK. Her Majesty denied our application. I think, well, she lost it twice, and then, <laughs> and the application was a long, documented story of the background of our relationship, the fact that we own property together. That was lost a couple of times, and then the third time, it was just denied. So he had to become a full-time student in order to stay there. So let's talk a little bit more about being authentic. So what does that mean to you? And, and how has your life changed once you were able to really be yourself? Being authentic to me just means being able to be transparent with people, especially people you care about. Being able to just be transparent and present yourself as who you really are. And... To be able to do that, especially in the workplace, and even including within the family, was just so liberating. When you're in the closet, you spend an enormous amount of energy really hiding who you truly are. I distinctly remember while in the workplace, in the closet, there were times where I was really fearful of how I was presenting myself for fear that I'd be found out. And, you know, so that's a lot of fear. It's a lot of negativity. It's a lot of energy expended in just hiding who you are, which is a, an insane use of energy from a personal perspective and from a business perspective. And so when I was able to bring myself to work as I was, there was a ton of energy now that I could now place into building relationships and building a business. And the result of that was my career kind of really excelled from that point on because I was able to use that energy in much more productive ways and able to come to my workplace comfortable and confident in who I was. And you were really able to be like a, a beacon for LGBTQ in the workplace. Yeah, uh, I was. And I'm proud of that work. I didn't do it by myself, to be clear. But... I used to say that I had my day job at work and then I had my gay job at work and my gay job was really a lot more fun. <laughs> so yes, we, you know, starting back in the day of being transferred to London and, and not having any policies in place to support LGBT people in the workplace, I uh, was able to work with the HR team and, you know, it was, it was a big deal at the time because it was at the Clorox company, Consumer Products. Consumer Products to this day is still pretty conservative industry and no companies, there were, some of the tech companies were starting to offer domestic partner benefits. We worked with the head of HR to, you know, pose to them that to be competitive in attracting talent, this is something they needed to do. No other consumer products company had done it at that point. She had to then sell it to the CEO, who then had to sell it to the board, and they did. And so that was, you know, I think a proud accomplishment for the company, for sure. Um, and then it grew from there. They came to be big champions of diversity and inclusion in general, and you see that reflected now in their board, in their leadership teams, and ultimately in the talent that they're able to attract. Fantastic. So let's talk about retirement now. So what was your journey to, to find yoga? 
I did my very first yoga class when we were based in London. I, you know, it was at a, it was at a gym, basically a fitness center that we belonged to. And it was offered one evening. I had no, I really had no idea what it was. And I literally just stumbled into the class and joined. As I recall, I don't even recall us using mats. And I definitely remember still being in my jeans. And the practice focused mostly on a lot on breathing, a little bit on movement. And I was just intrigued from that point on. So I went back. And then shortly thereafter, we got transferred back to San Francisco, where even at that time, there was kind of a yoga studio on every corner. So I was able to keep up the, my practice and deepen it. It eventually took me, you know, I started out with Hatha yoga. I eventually explored Bikram and did that for a number of years. And I, I like Bikram because I like to, I like to feel like I'm getting a workout. So I like the sweaty part of it. And I like the consistency of the routines. Felt like I was able to get a little deeper into the meditative qualities of the practice but ultimately injured myself and kind of got burnt out on the consistency and evolved to practicing more vinyasa, which I do today. And how did you decide to become a yoga teacher? I'd been practicing yoga for 25 years, but I'd never really studied it. And there were aspects of it that I really wanted to learn more about. I wanted to learn more about the history and philosophy of yoga. I wanted to learn more about anatomy. And so when I was finally able to retire, my goal in retirement was really mostly to spend time with family. My mom was quite sick, had been diagnosed with dementia, and I wanted to be able to spend some time with her. So the first year of retirement, I focused on that. And she passed away around between the Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays of 2017. And in January 2018, there was a yoga teacher training course being offered through Jate. The owner there had approached me a couple times suggesting I consider it. And I said at the time, you know, no, 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 timing's not good. Got a lot of stuff going on with the family. But after my mom passed, you know, coincidentally, the teacher training was starting at the same time. And so I signed up for it that January of 2018 and entered it really with the intention of, as I said, studying aspects of the yoga practice that I just hadn't had the opportunity to do. And then the deeper we got into it, and as you know, you have to teach class as part of graduation from teacher training, and was able to land on the Jate schedule, and it just kind of went from there. I really love being able to deepen my own practice. I really, really love getting people started in their practice and helping them deepen it as they go. And how would you say yoga has influenced your life? Yeah, so connecting back to a couple things, in my career that, um, you know, yoga really is about, the practice is about recognizing that your authentic self first, right? And then through that realization, you realize we're all connected with each other and then ultimately connected to, you know, a higher power or a higher universe. And so it's a matter of kind of working through all of those layers and really understanding who you are so that you can better understand the connections and and the impact you can have on other beings and ultimately recognizing that we are all one. And so, you know, if you connect it to modern day events, think how awesome the world would be if more people understood that. 
think how many conflicts could be much more easily resolved if we realize that we're all connected and we're all here in this together as one. So that's one way. So there was a long period of time. I'm sure it had to do with being in the closet. There was a long period of time I, was, I felt really vulnerable being out and in front of a group of people. And I felt even more vulnerable if I had to speak in front of a group of people. I had a real fear of public speaking. And I think the combination of coming out of the closet and the combination of really deepening my pranayama breathing practice significantly helped me overcome that challenge of public speaking. So this is a very stressful and confusing time for people now. What advice would you give to help people deal with stress and help shift their mindset to stay healthy mentally, emotionally, and physically? I think a few things. One is find time and space to be quiet, to get quiet, to listen. Listen to others, but also listen to yourself in terms of really what you need. I think movement is another element that can help deal with stress in a productive manner. And I think I pretty much just described practicing yoga. So if you could give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? Just be true to yourself. You are okay, just the way you are. And don't let anybody tell you that you're not. It's beautiful. And on a similar line, if someone out there is listening and kind of struggling, whether it's coming out of the closet or or whatever, just not being authentically themselves, what advice would you give to them? Hopefully my story helps illustrate a couple of things. One is there's real power and real value in being who you are. And have the confidence to know that you're going to derive strength from places that you might not be able to see today. Likewise, there are gonna be people to help you and support you in ways that you just never would have expected. Um, I use my parents as an example. I was willing to take that risk to have a better and more authentic relationship with them. I was not sure how that was gonna play out, but it played out luckily and thankfully in a really positive way to the point where I feel like I had a really good relationship with them authentically and changed their hearts and minds about things that they probably wouldn't have anticipated either. So you're gonna get support from places you can't even imagine. And then likewise in the workplace, you know, who would have thought, it would have been easy for my boss to say, oh, forget it, I thought I was just sending one person over to London, we can't afford to, or whatever rationale they would have come up with. But no, instead they, they worked through that issue for me and then ultimately put in place policies that benefit a lot of people for a longer period of time. Can you tell me more about your husband's book? So the book is called When Stars Align, and it's a love story between an American humanities professor who's on vacation in Paris, and she meets this gentleman while she's on vacation. They end up falling in love against a backdrop of um, mental illness and royalty. And it's actually based on a true story that Bruce read in The Guardian when we lived in London. Great, thank you. So any other final thoughts? Thanks for guiding this conversation. Hopeful is helpful 
to your listeners. And if it just reaches one and either changes their mind or give them confidence to, to be who they are, then I think you've, you've done your work. Where can people find you to learn more? My social media handle is pretty simple. It's yogi.tom. And you can find that on Instagram right now. And it's also my Gmail handle. If anyone wants to reach out, any LGBT person in particular who might be looking for a counsel or a mentor, happy to help them that way. Yogi.tom on Gmail or Instagram. Beautiful story. Thank you so much for sharing. And I hope it does, whether it's help someone themselves come out or just be more understanding of, of yeah. those around them. Yeah, especially parents with gay kids, right? I do think it's, it's quite different these days because there are so many positive LGBTQ role models out there. But it's still hard. It's still, I know it's still hard for parents because they have expectation of what their kid's future is going to be. And when they get the news, it's, it can be a rude awakening for them. Great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you being on here. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed this. That's all for this episode of The Other Side of Diversity podcast. Hope you've been inspired. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show or leave a review. It's the equivalent of supporting a small business owner. Love fully, live fully, and shine your beautiful light. Thank you.